You're listening to a podcast from the 5th Annual Tudor Institute Ireland Interdisciplinary Conference. The conference took place at Maynooth University on the 28th and 29th of August, 2015. The conference was generously supported by Marsh's Library, the Department of History at Maynooth University, Graduate Studies Office at Maynooth University, UCD Research, UCD School of History, and the Irish Research Council through a new Foundations Award. Podcasting was by Real Smart Media. In this episode, a recording of a paper by Richard Maher from the Dublin Institute of Technology. His paper was entitled The Viper in the Bosom, the case of James Murray and his undermining of Charles Wogan in the Jacobite court in Rome, June 1719. Uh, Of the Stuart claimant to the thrones of England, Scotland and Ireland, James III, if one is Jacobite, or the old pretender, if one is steeped in Whiggery, it was said that, like the chast- Jesus the Nazarene, his kingdom was not of this world. Such a quip is not only infused with wry wit, but it also conveys the sense of melancholy that was so often ascribed to the personality of James by his Hanoverian rivals. More recently, the contr- contributions of Henrietta Taylor, Evelyn Crickshanks, and Edward Corr have suggested another cause for the exiled Stuart Court's dysfunctionality. In the aftermath of the Treaty of Utrecht in 1713, James III was obliged to leave Paris, and he and his court eventually settled in the Palazzo del Rey in Rome. Internal rivalries, jealousies, and squabbles among his adherents were a consistent issue for the exiled Stuart claimant. While this was observed with glee by his rivals, it was yet another indication to his adherents that the Stuarts were indeed an accursed or misfortunate house. This paper will explore the possibility that it was not James' depressive nature which created the internal difficulties at his court. Instead, it proposes that it had more to do with one in whom James had placed his trust, James Murray of Stormont. As shall be seen, Murray had a history of undermining his patrons or those who had rendered him good service. However, one case involving Murray has been overlooked, that of the Jacobite, the Irish Jacobite Charles Wogan. He had provided outstanding service to James III by rescuing his betrothed, Princess Maria Clementina Sobieska, from detention in Innsbruck. Thus, Wogan had secured for the Stuart cause a marriage alliance with excellent connections, financial resources, and the potential continuation of the Stuart royal line. Curiously, though, Wogan did not receive due honours or rewards from James, as had been expected. As shall be, as shall be seen in this presentation, Wogan's experience will help to illuminate the shadowy role that Murray had played in creating the unpleasant and dysfunctional atmosphere in the Jacobite court in Rome. This paper will provide a brief account of Murray's early career, a short synopsis of Wogan's activities prior to the events of 1719, some relevant examples of disquiet among the Jacobite courtiers regarding Murray's machinations, and finally the consequences for Wogan of having fallen foul of Murray. James Murray, when he was 20 years old, had chosen to pursue a political career over one in law for which he qualified. He came into contact with such figures as Henry St. John, Viscount Bolingbroke, John Erskine, Earl of Mar, and Robert Harley, the first Earl of Oxford. Murray, however, incurred the displeasure of Harley by failing to observe proper protocol, and Harley wrote of him, quote, I'm afraid his vain conduct will create more mischief and do more harm to the king's service than all of his family and he can ever be capable to retrieve, unquote. Murray played a minor role in the failed Jacobite insurrection of 1715, and in its aftermath, he had obtained a position as a Jacobite agent in London in the service of James III. As has been observed by Henrietta Taylor, Murray seems to have been almost universally disliked. 
Despite this, he was asked to join the court in exile in March 1718. Murray's sister, Marjorie, married Colonel John Hay, a favourite of James III, and brother-in-law to the Earl of Mar, James's Secretary of State. This placed Murray in, a, in very close proximity to both the King and Mar. Murray gained the King's confidence, and soon he established a curiously firm influence over James. Within a short while after his arrival in Rome, Murray stirred up a storm of controversy, during which Charles Wogan suffered a reversal of fortunes, mainly due to Murray's malign influence over James III. Charles Wogan of Richardstown, County Kildare, whose family seat was at Rathcoffey, County Kildare, commanded troops during the 15, and he was taken prisoner at Preston. He escaped from Newgate Prison and fled to France with a bounty of £500 on his head. There he served for a short time in Dillard's regiment in the French military service before becoming a special agent of James III. Wogan gained the high opinion of his sovereign as correspondence with the Earl of Mar bears out, quote, I had occasion to tell you before of the King's good opinion of you. I now have orders to write to you of an affair he is to employ you in, and I am persuaded he will have to be pleased at your discretion, secrecy, and good conduct in going about it, with all the diligence and zeal it requires, and saving time and consequence, unquote. This letter alludes to his being chosen to travel with James Butler, the second Duke of Ormond, on a secret diplomatic mission to build an alliance between Russia and Sweden against the Elector Prince of Hanover, the de facto King of Britain and Ireland, George I, thus supporting a Jacobite restoration. The fact that Wogan was chosen for such an important task is a testament to both his ability and his character as recognised by James III. Although their plans didn't come to fruition, they did not return to their master empty-handed. They had been given the additional task of finding a suitable bride for their as-yet-unmarried king. On their way back to Rome, they stopped at Olau, the court of Prince James Louis Sobieski, grandson of King John Sobieski, King of Poland and Victor over the Turks at Vienna in 1683. There they discovered his 15-year-old daughter, Princess Maria Clementina Sobieska, and quickly a marital match was planned. However, George I of Britain and Ireland could not allow his rival claimant such a high-profile marriage, and soon his envoys to the Holy Roman Empire applied huge diplomatic pressure on Emperor Charles VI to obstruct the Union. Charles reluctantly agreed, under threats that the British fleet would no longer protect his Mediterranean territories against a menacing Spanish Bourbon presence in the region. Clementina was detained at Innsbruck and placed in detention along with her mother, Countess Palatine Hedwig Elizabeth of Newburgh, aunt of the Holy Roman Emperor himself. Wogan, however, with the assistance of a small band of companions, Major Richard Gaydon, Captain Lucius O'Toole and Captain John Missett, along with Lady Missett and Jeanette and her servant, recruited from Dillon's regiment in France, effected her rescue in April and May 1719. The details of the dramatic rescue have been covered in great depth elsewhere. At that time, though, James III had attempted to join Ormond in Spain to launch another military attempt to regain his lost thrones, and he was not in Italy when Clementina arrived. He'd left the management of his affairs to his Secretary of State, Mar, who had invited Murray to share the responsibilities of the office. However, Mar had left Rome supposedly to join James III upon his projected landing in Britain with Spanish troops, provided by Cardinal Alberoni, the Spanish Premier, but Mar had been recognised in Austrian Habsburg territory and detained at Milan. In his absence, the management of the court fell to Murray. He was asked by James III to represent him as his proxy in a marriage ceremony with Clementina on the 9th of May, 1719, in Bologna. It was after these events that Harley's premonition concerning Murray seemed to have come true. 
Indeed, there is a question mark over the suspicion that Murray may have alerted Austrian agents to Mars' whereabouts. Meanwhile, Wogan and his companions accompanied Clementina to Rome, but arrived on the 15th of May 1719 to a court that was seething with discontent. Murray by this point had alienated a group of high-ranking Jacobites at the court, the members of which included James Edgar, James III's secretary, Lord Nithsdale, Lord Patterson, Charles Forbes, and Alexander Forbes, 4th Lord Forbes of Pitsligo, all of whom formed part of an informal gentlemanly club. As has been observed by Edward Corr, Murray had at this time developed a habit of putting on airs and graces and behaving in a superior manner to all those he came across. Edgar and Patterson had challenged Murray on opening letters without licence, after which Murray had written to James III in an attempt to ruin Edgar's good reputation. Pitsligo, who had also had a personal quarrel with Murray, wrote of him subsequently, quote, He carried higher every day, even before he executed the proxy, but that affair made him quite forget himself, a thing too natural to mankind, unquote. For Clementina, despite having been warmly welcomed by the Pope, who was her godfather, and the Roman Curia, Murray immediately isolated the new queen from the Jacobite court, only allowing access to her for his own inner circle, which consisted of his sister, Lady Marjorie, and her husband, Colonel John Hay, and for the time being, Wogan and his companions. This caused much dissatisfaction, as all members of the court were eager to express their loyalty, naturally enough. Under mounting pressure, Murray first announced that he himself would manage the introductions, but this was not acceptable to the court, as according to the custom of the day, introductions were supposed to be made by a person of equal or higher rank. The following day, Murray announced at a local coffee house to members of the court that Wogan was to make the introductions, but as was noted by Pitsligo in his own narrative of these events, this too was altogether unsatisfactory to them, as Wogan had not even, not even received a knighthood. So Wogan, having fulfilled a similar role for Clementina at Bologna, dutifully acceded to serve as new queen in the task. Nevertheless, this departure from protocol deflected the anger of the courtiers away from Murray towards Wogan, who later said privately to Pitsligo that he felt that Murray had, quote, made use of him as the cat's paw, unquote. Not long afterwards, Cardinal Aquaviva consulted Murray while planning a dinner party concerning a guest list, initially planning for 20 of James III's followers to attend. Murray replied that, quote, the four Irish gentlemen, unquote, would be fit and nobody else. This would have opened Wogan and his companions to further resentment among the Jacobite courtiers. It seems that Murray, unable to reconcile the growing tide of protestations against him at the court with the prestige according to Wogan, accorded to Wogan, endeavoured to undermine him. In recognition of the astounding feat of Clementina's rescue, Pope Clement XI conferred the rank of Senator of Rome upon Wogan and his companions on the 15th of June 1719. They were the first Irishmen to receive the Eternal City's highest honour. Normally reserved for kings, relatives of the Pope or the Roman nobility, it was presented amid a fanfare of trumpets by Monsignor Bianchini and Count Ippolito Albani at a public assembly of Roman nobles, patricians and citizens on the capital. Meanwhile, matters had deteriorated at the Jacobite court. Murray had been given the direct responsibility of forwarding James III's letters while he was in Madrid and replying to letters of importance on his behalf by James himself in a letter dated the 2nd of February 1719 at Rome. But to members of the court, it appeared that Murray was opening and reading the King's correspondence without licence. Murray revealed his awareness of the precariousness of position and of his actions in his own defensively phrased correspondence with James, uh, King James, who was then in Spain. By this time, Mar had been released from detention and returned to the Palazzo del Rey in early June. 
He challenged Murray about, having, uh, about his claim of having warned him of danger before his capture, upon which Murray denied ever having said such a thing. In an attempt to deflect Mara's anger, Murray, who, was previously, who as previously mentioned, had quarrelled with a group of high-ranking courtiers, suggested that Mara should inform the king of what Murray perceived to be their disobedience to him. Mara utterly dismissed it. However, having only remained in Rome for a few days, Mara took the road again and was taken prisoner a second time. It is likely, however, that the ease with which he was captured may have been due to his growing disillusionment with the Jacobite cause and that he was seeking a favourable accommodation with the Hanoverian regime. In the Earl's absence, Murray began undermining, la- undermining Lady Mar, with whom he had been quarrelling about the handling of introductions to Clementina. Murray wrote to James III on the 5th of June, fostering suspicion about her loyalty, but also to shield himself from James' potential criticism. It was at this time that Lord Pitsligo wrote a long letter to James III, attempting to warn him of the damage being done by Murray at the court. In the end, it was Wogan who managed to keep the peace between them, after which Murray wrote to James of Wogan in mildly patronising terms, quote, I must do Wogan the justice of to let you know that he has behaved himself very well, unquote. James III, who had just seen the latest attempt to reclaim his kingdoms dashed, would have been ill-disposed to address the quarrels among his courtiers. Before he left Madrid, James had written to Wogan, chastising the court in Rome for their behaviour towards Clementina. He returned to Italy in late August. However, Wogan did not show that letter publicly, presumably in an attempt attempt to avert further discontent at the court. This would indicate that Wogan himself had by then suspected that Murray had been clearly misrepresenting the court to the king all along. In another, in another attempt to shield himself from criticism, Murray wrote another scandalous letter to James on the 28th of August in which he asserted that Clementina had been, quote, treated with great indifference, unquote, by the court. At a midnight ceremony on the 1st of September 1719 in Montefiascone, James III and Clementina were officially wed. And that's the image that you see now in front of you. That is a, a painting of the scene by Carlo Moratti that was done shortly after the scene itself. You have the young Clementina here. You have uh, James III with this substantial Stuart nose. And you have, to the background there, you have, I think there's one character that's missing from it, but I'm presuming that's Colonel John Hay and Murray speaking together there, and Wogan's just out of picture. So both the Hayes and Murray were in attendance, as you can see there. On the morning after the ceremony, though, Wogan was given a knight baronetcy by James III, and he and his companions, who were also knighted, received brevets of military advancement to be used to gain employment in the service of any of the major Catholic powers. In contrast to how Wogan had been so highly honoured by the Pope, the honours bestowed by James appear rather frugal. Perhaps one may charitably conclude that James simply did not have the resources to award them higher titles or positions within his court. However, even grander honours without pensions or estates would have, been, would have sufficed to signal the depth of royal appreciation. It is more likely that these men had fallen foul of Murray by this time and that he had used his influence to impact negatively upon James' perception of them. This might help to explain the king's polite deprecation of his distinguished servants, the Roman senators. In the days following the marriage, however, James III was to learn that Wogan had not communicated his dissatisfaction to the court as his letter from Madrid had stated. Therefore, James sent a second letter to Major Gaydon in Rome, who perhaps lacking Wogan's discretion and prudence, allowed the news of the king's displeasure to circulate at court. This could only have added to the general feeling of discontent there. 
Moreover, the lengthy letter sent, sent by Pitsligo in early June, attempting to warn James of the damage being done at court, was finally delivered to him, but James wrote a crushing reply, completely dismissing Pitsligo's narrative of events. Now, Murray's hold over James must have grown strong indeed for the king to have utterly rubbished the account of this high-ranking, widely respected and loyal adherent. He was forced to remove himself, Pitsligo was forced to remove himself from the court and he left Rome in October 1719 to travel back to Scotland. While in Paris, he was shocked to find that Murray's version of events had already been circulated there among Pitsligo's interlocutors and had become public knowledge. By October 1719, with no prospect of a permanent place at the court of James III, Wogan and Miss had departed for Spain. Gaydon and O'Toole had to return to France, where they were very lucky to be allowed to rejoin Dillon's regiment. Lady Missit, who had been an attendant of Clementina since Innsbruck, had been dismissed from her post. In a letter dated the 19th of April 1722, the Earl of Mar and John Hay postulated through hindsight that perhaps Lady Missit and Wogan had fallen as victims to the jealousies of Murray and his sister, Lady Hay. Quote, Wogan at last compassed the rescue contrary to expectation, which, naturally speaking, gave him a good title to the king's favour, as well as for his companions. And though the king did put a feather in his cap and got him provided for elsewhere, everybody who knew anything of his people knew that Murray was not well pleased. The Earl continued, And it was natural to believe that Clementina would have had a favourable ear for Wogan and Lady Missit, who had so eminently assisted her and brought her out of her difficulties, and the more because she thought, as I know she did, that they had been in a manner sacrificed upon her account to Murray and his sister's jealousy and resentment. Clementina herself was by this stage exasperated at by Murray and his sister as they, they had been persistently acting contrary to her wishes. The reference to Wogan being sacrificed in the letter quoted directly uh, quoted there suggests Murray's influence on the king's decision on how to honour Wogan for his gallant service. In consideration of how Wogan had been awarded the highest honour possible by Pope Clement XI, the fact that some months later Wogan was given a mere knight baronetcy by James III for having rendered a most extraordinary and strategic service suggests that he had somehow incurred his liege's displeasure. A knight baronetcy, a title invented by James I and VI to raise revenue from the socially ambitious squirearchy and merchants, was and still is the lowest rank in the British nobiliary system. Its significance contrasts sharply with the most prestigious one that was bestowed on Wogan by the Pope. In conclusion, then, the events of the summer of 1719, as described above, demonstrate that the actions of James Murray had much to do with the internal difficulties at the Jacobite court. Alongside this point, it has been shown that Charles Wogan, after providing outstanding service to the monarch of his choosing, incurred the jealousy of Murray and suffered as a result. Wogan and Missit were admitted to the Spanish service, but only in their former ranks as, as captains, as their brevets of advance, advancement were not fully recognised there. Their repeated requests for a place to be found at the Jacobite court were denied. Three years later, on the 19th of December 1722, Wogan wrote to James III from Madrid, at first in a conciliatory tone, asking James to dismiss misrepresentations made to him by others about Wogan's conduct, while both in Italy and in Spain. While no further details of the affair are provided, it does show that attempts have been made to discredit Wogan at the Jacobite court. However, sometime earlier, James found that he could no longer ignore the increasingly consistent protestations made against Murray, and by December 1720, he removed Murray from office as Secretary of State. However, and interestingly, 
1724, James created Murray titular Earl of Dunbar and backdated the promotion to 1721. Edward Corr's work on Murray certainly presents the image of an ambitious political climber. He successively abandoned patrons in favour of new ones who occupied positions of greater power. Even as the old pretender himself began to age, Murray gave increasing support to his successor, Prince Charles Edward. He consistently demanded the so-called, or defended the so-called Bonnie Prince, his poor behaviour, much to his father's uh, annoyance. As Henrietta Taylor observed, Murray was quoted once as saying that, quote, a man should endeavour to raise himself and rub through the world somehow or other, unquote. <laughs> Corr concluded in no uncertain terms that Murray had, quote, had allowed his vanity and ambition to destroy the harmony of the Jacobite court in exile, caused the departure of important supporters and blocked the arrival of others, and created barriers between James III and both Clementina and Charles Edward with disastrous consequences for the Jacobite cause. A darker shadow hangs over Murray's loyalty, as James III was informed by the French foreign minister in 1747 that he had been assured by his agents that Murray had been in receipt of a pension from the British government. For Wogan, though he undoubtedly felt bitter at his treatment of the Jacobite court, he took comfort in the distinction of his own deeds. In his correspondence with Jonathan Swift many years later, Wogan showed an acute awareness that he had suffered for envy's sake. However, he also showed a depth of pride in his actions, illustrated by his use of a quote from Scipio Africanus, the Roman general who ended the Punic Wars, quote, In the final words of Scipio the African in the Roman Senate, when the sentence of banishment was read out to him, let us ascend the temple of Jupiter and give thanks to the gods. This is the anniversary of that day on which I gained the victory of Zama, unquote. Clearly, in what Daniel Zecchi noted as the Jacobite philosophical preference for classicism and stoicism, Charles Wogan identified with the unappreciated hero of ancient Rome. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much.